chocolate. 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 From Dame Cacao, I'm Max Gandy, and this is Chocolate on the Road, the show where we explore hot topics surrounding cacao and chocolate cultures around the world. So let's hit the road. So I just left the craft chocolate market. I'm now walking down the street in Tokyo. Even though it was a very small event overall, it felt very needed and interested in. The Craft Chocolate Market is an annual chocolate festival held in Tokyo, Japan, the world's largest city. A global selection of craft chocolate makers comes together for two whole days and sells to the public. There's even a reception the night before the event. And unlike most chocolate festivals, this one needs a bit of crowd control. You have to purchase entrance by the hour. But Japanese people haven't always been fascinated by craft chocolate. The concept of craft chocolate, of small batch chocolate made with transparently sourced ingredients, is actually quite new to Japan and to Asia as a whole. Japan only started developing its chocolate culture sometime after the Second World War. and There was another peak when chocolatiers first broached the Japanese market, especially Godiva from Belgium. And um, then Be The Bar only really started taking off about five years ago, maybe. This is a pretty common theme in the Asian chocolate scene. Yulia Wertz, who just gave us a 30-second overview of Japan's chocolate development, was there to watch this last stage. She's been paying close attention to the fine chocolate scene since 2008, when she was living in the UK. When she moved to Japan in 2010, she kept up with the local scene, writing about it on her blog up until she left Japan at the end of 2017. I'll leave a link to her blog in the show notes. By 2017, she'd watched an entire segment of the chocolate industry pop. Kernels of knowledge were allowed to simmer and develop, and then seemingly all at once, the whole pot started making noise like crazy. So the first bean the bar maker in Japan, at least from what I know, was Minimal Chocolate in Tokyo. And um, since then, lots of other new craft chocolate businesses have started popping up, especially after Dandelion um, Chocolate from San Francisco opened the Tokyo outlet in 2015. This episode is focused on the slow burn of the Japanese chocolate industry. We'll explore how cultural exchange brought Japanese creativity abroad and why Japanese craft chocolate is so darn expensive. And finally, we'll look at the reasons why Japanese craft chocolate might never make it out of Japan. But first, a quick note. I had a lot of trouble finding people to interview for this story. Podcasts still aren't very well known in Japan, and many people were self-conscious about speaking in English. So an especially huge shout-out to my guests on this episode for trusting me to tell this story. Before Tokyo's minimal chocolate opened their doors in 2014, craft chocolate was still a fairly experimental food in Japan. 
small batch chocolate making machinery was hard to find, so you had to build your own chocolate laboratory. And that's exactly what the Nakano family did. Based in Fukuoka, one of the southernmost states in Japan, is Kekauken. The shop is the creation of Fumiko and Toshimi Nakano, and their daughter Yukari, whom I interviewed for this story. The name Kekauken in Japanese actually means cacao laboratory. They chose this name because that's what they wanted to create. Fumiko and Toshimi used to manage a sweets manufacturing company, so they used industrial chocolate all the time. But the moment the three of them tasted bean-to-bar chocolate, they knew it was different. Up until then, chocolate itself had been an ingredient, a flavor. Or only sweet. Mm. It was too sweet. Is it only for dessert we can mm. eat chocolate? So in Japan, do people still think chocolate is only like cheap candy, or is there more like different understanding of chocolate? Is mm. now it's changed that before only cheap chocolate mm. uh, we eat, so we didn't know about the real chocolate. Yukari is like many Japanese people in this regard. When she and her parents were growing up, chocolate was a common sweet. The fourth biggest chocolate manufacturer in the world was actually the Japanese company Meiji. In 2017, Meiji chocolate made nearly 10 billion U.S. dollars worldwide. But they first started manufacturing chocolate in Japan in 1918, during World War I. Japan's chocolate history is over a century long. But that first Meiji chocolate was just one product from their line of sweets, which quickly expanded into dairy products. After World War II, Meiji branched into pharmaceuticals, and then infant formula, and then snacks, eventually selling all these products internationally. Today, Meiji is a multi-billion dollar company with many varied interests, but the chocolate branch of their company remains strong, currently holding about a quarter of Japanese market share. Part of this is due to their launch of the now infamous brand, The Chocolate. According to Meiji's own site, they launched that brand in 2014, but I and many others didn't hear a peep about it until right around 2016. How many people do you think know about bean to bar, like percent in um, Japan? A few years ago, the uh, big company tried to show what is a real chocolate. So now is maybe ten percent or mm. more than ten percent that we uh, we know about high quality chocolate. But before, we didn't know about mm. it. Mm. When do you think bean-to-bar chocolate really started becoming popular in Japan? Uh, two years ago. Two years ago. Mm. Because uh, uh, from two years ago, it, on TV or journal, the mm. they, they explain about how is a bean-to-bar chocolate. Before... They just to introduce about the uh, uh, chocolatier or the, mm. about the brand, so mm. they didn't say which cacao bean they use. Just they focus to the person who mm. who make chocolate. Yeah. Yeah. 
For your company, when did you try bean to bar chocolate? And how did you find that bean to bar chocolate first time? First time, uh, we saw the journal、mm. and then they introduced about the American bean to bar shop.、Mm. And、uh, this was on television? It's a magazine. Magazine,、mm-hmm. oh, okay. Like article. Article. So, and、uh, we didn't know about bean to bar chocolate,、mm. but、uh, they introduced about、mm. uh, bean to bar shop in US.、Mm-hmm. So, Japanese bean to bar chocolate movement c o m e from US more than 10 years、oh. ago. And some Japanese touched to make.、Too. Yeah. Now, Many magazines, Japanese magazines and television,、uh, they try to introduce about、uh, it's real chocolate or pintuba chocolate. So the customer now, more and more, they know about pintuba chocolate. Do you know of any programs that are trying to educate Japanese people other than the television program?、Uh, television bro- program is only they show how to make pintuba chocolate. But for example, we have a seminar to students. Many Japanese、uh, bintuba chocolate makers try、mm. to teach the, what、mm. is a real chocolate,、so、how different is between industry and our chocolate.、Mm. Most、uh, seminars in Tokyo, because、mm. in Tokyo there are many bintuba、mm. shops, so each、mm. shop、uh, they try to have.、Mm. Try to have a seminar. The first time you ate bean to bar chocolate,、mm-hmm. was it Japanese bean to bar or imported, international? Japanese bean to bar. In Tokyo. Was, so you were in Tokyo or、mm-hmm. chocolate was from Tokyo?、Ah, when we were in Tokyo.、Ah. So we went to the bean to bar shop. Ah,、mm. oh, cool.、Mm. So just one the woman. Who、mm. make a bean to bar chocolate,、mm. sell and make、mm. she she do alone.、Mm. So、uh, wow. we were surprised to、yeah. see it. <laughs> and then her chocolate was. After really decades of eating Meiji chocolate and other mass produced chocolates, Fumiko and Toshimi immediately realized how special that woman's chocolate was. Yukari told me that the woman whose chocolate they tried in Tokyo. Has since shut down. But she and her parents definitely have not. Kakaoken was officially opened in 2014, and since then they've built a chocolate factory and a partnership with cacao farmers in Vietnam. Vietnam, the Philippines, and Indonesia seem to be quite common cacao partners for Japanese chocolate companies. Kakaoken was part of a group of Japanese chocolate pioneers. But similar to how the craft chocolate movement grew in the United States, change happened fast. A few years ago, we started to dip into the chocolate shop.、Mm. And、uh, in Japan, there were 10 or 20 into the chocolate shops in、mm. Japan. But now, more than 100 shops. Now, I think the into the chocolate is not, not too difficult to start.、Mm. To make a bean to、yeah. the, the chocolate. And also,、um, if someone w a n t to start to make a bean to the chocolate,、mm. who are a bit funny 
キャラクターユニークユニークユニークユニークユニークユニークユニークユニークユニークユニークユニークユニークユニークユニークユニークユニークユニークユニークユニークユニークユニークユニークユニークユニークユニークユニークユニークユニークユニークユニークユニークユニークユニークユニークユニークユニークユニークユニークユニークユニーク For example, if the famous chocolatier starts to have a、mm. sh- new shop, they have to think about the、uh, business.、Mm. So that's why they, they have to open the big city. Because、uh, mm. if uh, they cannot、uh, sell very、yeah. well, they have to close. But、uh, for、yeah. example, Vintuba Chocolate people, we don't think about the、uh, business a lot. We want to introduce Uh, real chocolate to、yeah. customer. The thinking is most、mm. important to continue our shop. That's why I think that's、mm. why many local area people start, start to make,、uh, yeah, make chocolate. So that's why the, you can find、mm-hmm. the many Bintuba、uh, shop、mm. in the local city. Yeah,、mm. in like rural parts of、mm. Japan. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's first, first year, second year is quite difficult to、mm. sell、yeah. to the local people. Yeah. <laughs> Because only they know about the、uh, you know, big, big industries,、mm. is chocolate. Yeah. So, but if they compare to taste、mm. the, the chocolate,、mm. they suddenly really easily to understand、yeah. how different it is. So, this thing is very interesting to teach、mm. to、uh, the customer, I think. There are lots of stories、mm. so、about Vintuba chocolate. It's a story of pot, story of、mm. harvest, a story of、uh, roasting,、mm. and、uh, recipe of chocolate,、mm. mm. which sugar we use, for example. Mm. Mm. Do you think Japanese people are more interested in the stories of the chocolate or the difference in quality and flavor? Both,、mm-hmm. I think. But the story is more important than others. But,、mm, yeah. but quality is very important. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, both. Yeah. <laughs> this additional ingredient of storytelling is really what set this new chocolate apart. Even Meiji took advantage of this shift in hierarchy with how they advertised their the chocolate brand. It was in direct contrast with the country's previous relationship with chocolate. There was a clear hierarchy, developed over time and many Valentine's Days. On Japanese Valentine's Day, women give men chocolate as a sign of respect. This giri choco, or obligation chocolate, Offers great insight into Japanese culture as a whole. On the bottom are chocolate flavored sweets, and then mass produced chocolate bars, and at the top, chocolatiers. One, two, three. You buy one chocolate over the other, depending on how much respect you want to or feel obligated to show to someone. But craft chocolate threw a wrench in this. Bean to bar chocolate, as it's most commonly known in Japan, Is usually sold in the, form, in the form of bars rather than bonbons, making it seem like mid tier gifting material. Plus, the most common bean to bar chocolate is from Meiji, 
a company still known for manufacturing cheap chocolates. But these bars are so much more expensive than the ones people grew up on, sometimes 10 times as much. And they taste different, really different. So somewhere between the price difference, storytelling, and changing trends, bean-to-bar chocolate has shaken up the Japanese chocolate hierarchy. There's now a different type of competition for celebrity chocolatiers. Notably, Mr. Tsuchiguchi of Chocoladash, and also the founder of Teobroma Chocolate in Tokyo, and the founder of Paledor, which has outlets in Osaka and Tokyo. They are big chocolate celebrities that also are all over TV and in the media. And that is definitely rooted in Japanese culture to elevate opinion leaders to that sort of status. Again, this is Yulia Wirtz. Yulia actually first became interested in fine chocolate through tasting bonbons from Pierre Marcolini, a well-known Belgian chocolatier turned chocolate maker. Marcolini even has several locations in Tokyo now. but. This is a relatively new exchange. Initially, this fascination with Europe came from the Japanese side, with many Japanese people moving to Europe in the 1970s and 80s to study pastry and a variety of other subjects. Many later returned to Japan and began making names for themselves in pastry and chocolate. They brought classic European chocolates and flavors to Japan, creating a unique environment for flavor creation. Pastry chefs wanted to recreate what they studied in Paris, but they had to change it for the Japanese palate. It was along those same lines that Kit Kats entered the Japanese market in 1973. They started off as basically the same Kit Kats being sold in the U.S., but quickly adapted to Japanese tastes. Eventually, this resulted in dozens of unique Kit Kat flavors, only available in Japan, like soy sauce or cherry blossom. But don't think Europe emerged unscathed. Now common flavors such as yuzu, sesame, and red bean are actually East Asian in origin. Incorporating such flavors into their chocolates has become a way of making them feel more Japanese. A lot of the Japanese makers like to incorporate uniquely Japanese flavors, like certain fruit that that only grow in Japan or Japanese spices, or those sorts of things. I guess you could say that incorporating those makes a chocolate uniquely Japanese because those are flavors that you can't really find elsewhere. They'll, they'll make a lot of product, but for some reason, bean-to-bar makers tend to stay away from making like bonbons and truffles. Yeah, I have definitely observed that as well, and... As I've visited a lot of bean-to-bar makers in Japan, I pretty much know what, what they offer. I think, to some degree, the reason that Japanese bean-to-bar makers will only focus on bars and steer away from bonbons or other products is obviously a very different skill set that is required to make a bar from beans or to make bonbons. A lot of Japanese bean and bar makers don't have an education in the pastry industry. So they don't have, you know, a chocolatiering degree or something like that. So they will not know the techniques, maybe. 
Another reason is chocolatiers in Japan are already pretty established, so they would be very difficult competition to go against, especially considering that you might want to charge a bit more for truffles or bonbons made with peanut bar chocolate. So the question really arises, how much money would you earn with that? On the other hand, if you focus on making bars as a peanut bar maker in Japan, you definitely have your own little niche. And I think that works pretty well for most of them. You said peanut bar didn't really take off in Japan until maybe like five-ish years ago. So you were there before then. and You saw a lot of the evolution of it. So what was that evolution of peanut bar like? It was definitely inspired by the craft coffee scene by the third wave coffee movement, uh, which emphasizes the origin of the beans and sustainability. You will find all those elements in the Japanese bean to bar movement as well, again, which is in keeping with the American bean to bar scene, which also focuses on these sorts of elements. Like I mentioned, the first maker in Japan, to my knowledge, was Minimal Chocolate who, in my opinion, are still unique in that the way they make their chocolate is different from other makers. It tastes very different. It melts very differently. But other makers haven't really taken that on board. You will find some makers that are more aligned with um, European bean to bar makers and that they aim for chocolates that are smooth, but also not so diverse in terms of the flavors, maybe. Trends in Japan tend to become huge, but obviously they can also sizzle out pretty quickly. With the bean bar movement, it is definitely at the top of consumers' minds at the moment, at least to some degree, which in my opinion was sparked especially by the Meiji, the chocolate, bars which claim to be bean to bar but obviously it's meaty so they're mass produced as to how it is perceived in the overall japanese society trends can rise very quickly and then everybody talks about it with that regard you might say that japanese bean to bar is at the top of the hierarchy at the moment at the same time i wouldn't really go that far because when it comes to gift giving, which is still the biggest driving factor to purchase chocolate in Japan, then chocolatiers are still at the top of the food chain. Being a bar is definitely on the rise in Japan, but compared to supermarket level chocolate and candy bars or even chocolatiers, the market share is still very small. This small but growing trend of Japanese bean-to-bar chocolate is by far the strongest in Tokyo. In my four trips to Japan over the last year, no city even came close to having as many chocolate makers as Tokyo. As Yukari mentioned earlier, it's just gotten so easy to do the act of chocolate making now. This is true all over the world, but in Japan there's this history and fascination with European desserts and chocolate. This fascination is the foundation for why European chocolates have become so popular in Japan. But for a number of historical reasons, 
Japanese society puts a very strong emphasis on perfection. Creativity comes second. So, like previous aspects of European pastry, in these early days of Japanese craft chocolate, many makers see chocolate making as another technique to master, rather than a complicated craft in and of itself. In Tokyo, in particular, there's a divide between French inspired chocolatiers and American inspired chocolate cafes. Something which both Yukari and Julia said really struck me as related. First up is Julia. Japanese people, from the way that they were raised, tend to copy in the first place before really putting their own spin on it. So they will use techniques that have been used before. This cultural tendency towards developing the same baseline mastery as your peers is unsurprising. Japan is by far one of the most homogenous countries in the world. When trends hit the mainstream, especially in food, companies and chocolate producers seem to find it hard to deviate from expectations. This is because another cultural tendency is towards competition. In Japan, all the competition、mm. of technique、mm. about chocolate is not、mm. focused on cacao beans or chocolate quality.、Mm. In that case, Yukari was talking about chocolatiers. But this attitude didn't stop when chocolatiers branched into chocolate making. For most of them, bean to bar chocolate is still just the name of another product to master. Even the chocolate makers who are part of the third wave coffee movement are still looking at chocolate through the lens of coffee. It's another product rather than the star. But the initial inspiration for Japan's craft chocolate movement was American craft chocolate. The trendiness came afterwards. Even Yukari's family's first contact with craft chocolate was in a magazine introducing an American craft chocolate company. First time. Uh, we saw the journal,、mm. and then they introduced about the American bean to bar shop. Yukari couldn't remember the name of the company, but it could have been any number of makers. In fact, the summer of 2012 is when I myself stumbled upon the craft chocolate scene. You can hear more about that in the first episode of this podcast. But suffice it to say that the Nakano family's approach is a unique one. They were early on the scene and they source and import cacao directly from farmers. Every year they release new and unique limited run products, and their shop is located in an area very inconvenient for foot traffic. They're doing everything that makers coming up now might balk at. Unless they're looking at craft chocolate as the main attraction. Issei. I don't know if you know Issei. I didn't know Issei. The, the main thing Issei is known for in Japan is、uh, it has dozens of Shinto shrines all over、um, the city that are rebuilt every 20 years from the ground up. Using the same construction techniques that started 1500 years ago. Every 20 years, they rebuild dozens, and they are, some of them are the size of a city block, and some of them are the size of this table. To me, like, it's this like, fascinating like,、uh, like, commitment to craftsmanship that 
I wish we were that awesome, right? Like, I, I want to be that awesome, right? And so, like, as an American, I never would have been like, do you know where we should go? Issei. Because, like, Issei is not a place Americans go to. I second that. Americans don't generally go to Issei. But Japanese tourists do. And now, so do Japanese chocolate lovers, largely due to the effort of one man. I'm Greg Delisander. I'm the chocolate sorcerer here at Dandelion Chocolate. So how long have you been with Dandelion? And what was your background before? Um, so I've been with Dandelion now since uh, 2012. Before Dandelion, I was a tech guy. Greg D'Alessander is a presence. He's a sort of liaison between Dandelion U.S. and Dandelion Japan. But as important as his role is, he's not the man whose efforts brought Dandelion East. I'll let Greg tell the story. So what was the Japanese bean-to-bar scene like back in 2015-2016 when you were scouting and opening the first location here? Um, Well, so to give credit where credit is due, uh, um, we... The reason we opened in Japan specifically, we we'd already we had always seen Japan as a potential expansion opportunity, but we were approached by um, Seiji, who is the CEO of Dandelion Chocolate Japan, um, with the opportunity. And so, as much as it was one of those things that we said, "Oh, do you know, be cool someday," is expanding to Japan. When he like walked in the shop and talked to us and said, "Hey, why don't we work together to expand to Japan?" We were like, "Oh, oh, oh!" Like you mean like right now? Oh, okay. And so, like, I think it happened faster than we might have done it on our own because Seiji came in as such a was such a strong partnership for us. Um, it, at, at the time, actually, it, at the time and now, um, craft chocolate is booming in Japan. There's so there's so much interest in craft chocolate, and there's so many new chocolate makers sort of popping up that I think the um, Seiji essentially Seiji's main pitch was. You're, you're, you could build Dandelion in Japan, or somebody's going to build something that looks just like Dandelion in Japan. So why don't you just build it? Which is a pretty good pitch. If you, <laughs> but so when we were looking around, it's kind of like what things looked like. Uh, I think a lot of things the Japanese market has is there's a there's a sort of care for craftsmanship. Um, people are willing to spend money on a on a high end food product. Um, and this is, and I say this because, like, there's parts of the world where you can make the best product in the world, but, I, you know, we, we've had our, our, our share of Yelp reviews that say things like, the best chocolate I've ever tried, but $6. And you're just like, well, $6 sounds cheap to me for the best thing you've ever tried of anything. Um, whereas I think in Japan, people are like, oh, it's the best thing. I will pay an unlimited amount of money for it if, it's, if it really is the best. And so I think that the, the openness to sort of paying for a well-crafted product uh, was really appealing. So even though you're an American company, the approach that you took to expanding into Japan was very Japanese because you have a contact here. Yeah, absolutely. There's a difference between a company that is an American company that has a store in Japan and a Japanese company that is an offshoot or a spinoff of an American company. Um, Our goal for Dandelion in general is we want it to be a decades-long company. I I love that Guitard is a, you know, 150-year-old, multi-generational company that I think is doing a lot of uh, really interesting, great things and can have, like, hundred year long relationships with cocoa producers so like what what we want is we don't want to figure out how we can make a lot of money in the short term uh to you know to to 
to get value out of a growing market, what we want to do is establish something that will be around for a very long time. And so the way to do that in Japan is we need to make chocolate in Japan. It couldn't be a Japanese shop that we're then shipping chocolate from the U.S. to. I mean, we do sell chocolate we make in the U.S., um, but, but most of what we sell in Japan is chocolate made in Japan.、Um, we actually, one of the things that、uh, we didn't even realize was going to happen, but now we've realized is really interesting, is the,、um, the, the makers,、uh, the people who make the chocolate in、um, Japan, clearly aren't Japanese.、Um, and because Because they have different palates and have grown up tasting different things and different food,、uh, they'll take the same equipment and the same beans and make a very different product than we'll make in the US. And so I think it's really interesting to have this, this different kind of spin and take on the same thing. And you'd think, like, well, it's beans and sugar. If you're using the same equipment and the same beans and the same sugar, like, shouldn't it all taste the same? And the answer is like, not even remotely. There's like a million different ways you can make something taste with two sim- very simple ingredients, which is part of the reason we continue to do two ingredient chocolate. is We feel like there's so much interesting,、uh, interesting flavor to mine out of just this very simplist- simplistic thing. We want to continue to doing, doing it.、Um, but I think all of this is part of the reason we feel like we felt like. Dandelion Chocolate Japan had to be a Japanese company. It couldn't just be a shop based on a, an American company. If Dandelion had opened in Japan on their own, maybe a year or two later, Greg said they would have made lots of mistakes. They would have been thinking like Americans rather than like people from that place. This is, I think, one of the things that's great about it being a Japanese company is they're very.、Uh, Like,、um, the, the team here is very targeted about, like, we're not trying to do something that an American would think you would do in Japan. We're doing something that a Japanese person would do in Japan. We're going to places, even where our main factory cafe here in Kurumai, Kurumai is not, it's not, you know, Ginza, it's not, you know, Shinjuku,、um, Shibuya, it's not in the middle of, like, tons of commerce. It's a craftsman area. It's not a place you would have heard of as a tourist、Never. just visiting. And so, what it means is the people who are coming here are the people who are like really focused on coming here in particular. But in Japan, that's a thing. Like, you wouldn't do that in the US because you'd be like, no, 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 we just want foot traffic. Like, you know, you have to build a place where there's enough foot traffic to support your business. But in Japan, like, people will go to you if you have something that, 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 that is really worthwhile. And it's just culturally, it's very different. And again, I think as an American, I would have made an enormous number of mistakes if I were trying to design what this is. Seiji really has a very good and clear understanding of Japanese culture. But there are some times when it pays to think differently. Like before there was much cacao available at all in Japan, Yukari and her parents had to get creative. They started looking abroad for answers. Dandelion just had to look back home for a solution. The beans in, in Japan are very expensive.、Um, there is one importer that imports and sells most of the beans in Japan to most craft chocolate makers.、Um, and that means everyone's kind of using the same beans and they're very expensive, which means the bars are very expensive. And this is very different than in the US. Whereas in the US, partially because in the US, like, we're very A lot of people have direct connections to Central and South America, Africa, et cetera. And so, like, a lot of people are getting beans from like, someone they know or a friend or a buddy. 
It happens a little bit in Japan, but not nearly so much as it happens in the U.S. And so in the U.S., I think there's a much wider proliferation of origins and different beans that people are working with, whereas in Japan, there's kind of this 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 set that, that seems to repeat often um, because... Uh, just just because there's there's not as much kind of variety of import, and because the beans are so expensive, the chocolate bars are a lot more expensive here. Importing is a is a, is an art form, and a lot of people in Japan have just said we're going to let somebody else take care of the importing, and that means this one company basically does the vast majority of the importing of cocoa beans into into Japan. I source for both Dandelion Japan and Dandelion US, and all the beans we source all go to San Francisco, and then we make blended containers that we ship out of Port of Oakland. And then they come into Japan, and then the Denline Japan team does the import on those beans. So what portion of your business, like overall as a dandelion brand, is in dandelion Japan versus dandelion? Uh, by, by like volume of chocolate production, it's about 40% Japan, 60% U.S. Yeah, wow, which is huge growth. Yeah, I, I I think a lot of people are surprised by that because it's you know Dandelion Japan is newer, but again, um, I, I think a lot of people underestimate how much you sell through retail shops, right? I mean, when you have your own retail shop, you're selling drinks, you're selling you know pastries, you're selling bars, and so having four shops means we're able to essentially move a lot more product in Japan than we can out of the two now three shops that we have in the u.s um and uh and so that's so that's why that volume grew so quickly our wholesale uh um our online store and wholesale in the u.s are much larger than japan there we we have a couple stores in japan that sell our product but a lot more in 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 the u.s yeah i think it's similar to korea in that there's not really much retail infrastructure yeah anywhere yeah or like any previous standards for through which you can go like there's not really people outside of cafes who are selling their own coffee that sell like boutique coffee or boutique anything totally i um i'm super spoiled because in san francisco i live six blocks away from chocolate covered I, I genuinely think it's probably the the like has the biggest selection of chocolate i've ever seen anywhere in the world he has like 1200 different bars from makers from all over the world and it's like i can walk there right well, and, and that store doesn't exist in Japan. To, to my knowledge... Nothing even remotely equivalent. Right, exactly. To my knowledge, there's nowhere you can go and get... Not even online. 20, 30 different, you know, craft chocolate brands. Just doesn't exist. Um, and there aren't, you know, Whole Foods in the U.S. has a pretty nice selection of craft chocolates. There's no equivalent in Japan. Like, Dean Lucas in Japan actually has... Like, they'll carry some different craft chocolate brands... But um, and and this is part of the reason that in Japan people are doing their own retail because if you didn't, who would sell your chocolate? Whereas in the U.S., because there's Whole Foods and there's a lot of specialty shops, farmers you know, markets, um, and there's farmers markets, all these things, a lot of people are building wholesale and online businesses more than they're building retail businesses. When it comes to building up an international business, it seems like Dandelion's got the right idea. Same, same, but different. Like generations of the same family. So we family. now have a couple different factories. Is each factory has its own personality, and so as you're tasting the bars in the different factories, you'll start to get the personalities of those factories and what people 
what the chocolate their makers there like and what they try the notes they try to pull out so that over time you'll end up getting into this sort of like you know oh i really love the stuff of valencia when they do this and this and this and you know like because i think as we grow which we're going to continue to grow like i don't think growth is bad i think homogenization is bad you want to make it a child not a clone yeah exactly that's a that's a great way to put it i, I might even steal that from you but that's okay um <laughs> this culturally adaptive approach to expansion isn't new in business in fact it's exactly what kit kats did to become so popular in japan and around the world but the idea of international expansion of retail spaces is new in craft chocolate it's even new in Kit Kats, which opened its first permanent retail shop in Japan in 2014. And from what I've seen, Japanese chocolate makers are going to have a tough time if they ever look beyond the shores of Japan. Their issues are big ones, with website language barriers and retail infrastructure, but they're certainly not insurmountable. For now, Japan's voracious domestic demand seems to be enough for the local scene to continue growing. But as I observed at the craft chocolate market and at other Japanese festivals, the public is hungry for more. And not necessarily more of the same. For example, take my reaction after leaving a chocolate cafe on my last night in Tokyo. From the outside, this place was completely unremarkable. As in, I couldn't have even told you this was a cafe had I not had it marked on my map. So it's a relatively quiet night here in Tokyo, Monday, and I'm just walking down a side street in eastern Tokyo, and I just had this really remarkable experience at a coffee and chocolate shop, uh, really tucked off in a side street. The owner was very humble more so in the way that he spoke than in anything he did it just really stuck with me how much he paid attention to his craft like it was clear he wasn't doing something just because it was trendy he was doing it because it really struck him as something worthy of doing So while Japan's chocolate culture has leapt from mass-produced sweets and imported bonbons to chocolate factories in the countryside, this is not where it ends. Japan's chocolate making and chocolate consumption is on the rise. And honestly, the future is a bit fuzzy. But I have no doubt that there will be more stories of Japanese chocolate ingenuity in future journeys on the road. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Chocolate on the Road. If you liked it, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes, and share it in any way you see fit. Your support means so much to me. It really does keep me going. And especially huge thank you to Yulia, Yukari, and Greg for sharing your words and sometimes your spaces with me. To learn more about our guests, Check out the show notes of this episode in the link in the description or on my website at damecacao.com. That's D-A-M-E-C-A-C-A-O dot C-O-M.
Have a wonderful day, and I hope you'll join me next time we go on the road.